We only got one life, so it's time to live it for. I don't hesitate, I embrace every day. Cause we only got one life, so it's time to live it for. It's not about trying to achieve more or gain, but rather how to lose and let go. Let me explain. Once you let go of all things that aren't significant, you'll be left with everything that is truly important. I'm living everyday life with a purpose. Living everyday life with a purpose. This is another episode of the podcast. Live it full. Hey, you know what time it is. It's Live it full podcast. I'm Richard. I'm your host. If you like us, as always, go leave us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Although I look at the stats and like 90% of our listeners are listening on Apple and Apple podcast or an iPhone. So although I use Spotify frequently... Apparently not everybody does, but if you are listening on there, go leave us a review, share us with your friends and family. Let us spread the word of live it full. Today, we're going to talk about a couple things. I shared the, something on Facebook that happened to me probably 10 years ago. That's probably driven me as much as, you know, my own internal drive. I listen to the naysayers. I um, don't take anything to heart. I've learned that everybody's going to have an opinion and they're kind of like buttholes, you know, the rest of that one, I think, but what I've learned is you can use it. You can let it drive you. I mean, I think Michael Jordan is one of the best playing with a, you know, was one of the best ever playing with a chip on his shoulders and underdog because people constantly underestimated his ability. And even if they didn't, he made it up in his head where they did. You should watch the last dance Netflix special. If you haven't, it's pretty good. Even if you're not a basketball fan, but I was, I told a story earlier this week on social media about uh, something that happened to us about 10 years ago. So Caitlin and I and our partners got into real estate in 2012. So right at 10 years ago. And I remember it took us three years to buy three houses, basically. Um, with the initial money we put in, we didn't put any more. We were letting the cash ride. It became substantially easier after that. But I remember having some conversations and, and one specifically pops into mind was with a colleague of ours in our industry, um, insurance, um, who basically I, we had said, yeah, we bought our first rent house real excited because the little background on, on Kaylin and I with it. And if you listen to the podcast, the last 75 or 76 episodes, you've probably heard it, but like we bought our first rent house prior to us ever buying our own primary residence to live in. Some people thought that was a little backwards. Like, why would you do that? Well, because that one makes money. That one costs money. One's a liability. One's an asset because one produces cash flow. One, takes cash flow away. And so we were discussing that with with a colleague and he basically said he was pretty condescending. And I don't know if he meant to be. And I guess that's that's part of the story is watch how you talk to people when they share their dreams and their plans and their goals with you because you don't know how your tone can affect them or how your attitude or your biases will impact them. And so I remember him being a little condescending and just saying, oh, it's like it was a trendy thing. Like, oh, everybody's into rentals these days. Okay. I mean, I guess it was pretty popular at the time. There were a lot of TV shows coming on about flipping houses and buying rentals and real estate. Um, HDTV was probably uh, coming out hard with it. And so I get that. Like maybe it was and maybe that's something that a part of a reason we got into it. But let me tell you, everybody who's gotten into it hasn't made it, hasn't made it stick. 
And so there probably were a lot of people. So, I mean, I guess I can understand that. Um, it's kind of like when you see the wave of people doing something new, like NFTs or crypto or something, people go, oh, everybody's doing that. So, yeah, you do have to stop and pause and say, if everybody's doing it, should I be should I be leery? I mean, that's that whole Warren Buffett thing. When when people are scared, you should be greedy. And when they're greedy, you should be scared. And so he could have really impacted how we thought about that. I kind of took it with a grain of salt at the time, but obviously it irritated me enough that I remember this conversation very specifically from 10 years ago. Don't belittle other people's dreams just because God didn't give you the same vision as them. Doesn't mean they don't see it. And so I don't care if it's real estate or a small business, or if you're, you know, selling charcuterie boards on the side or, trying to turn that into a full-blown business venture with a storefront or selling t-shirts or doing multi-level marketing. Don't listen to the naysayers. Now, is it prudent to understand the risk? Absolutely. Is it prudent to take advice from people? Yes, if it's the right people. And so the people you need to surround yourself with as you go into business or as you do just about anything are the people who, number one, have done it before or understand that level of things. Because there's plenty of things that that I don't understand the ins and outs of, but I don't think are crazy. And so to go into business, I think most entrepreneurs, most people who are self-employed, most people who are in sales... And I think that all of us who are self-employed were in sales um, on some level. I mean, that's the basis of our economy is a, a service-based sales economy at the end of the day, right? Because even if you manufacture stuff, somebody's selling it, right? But I think that we're all a little tweaked. You have to be willing to work 80 hours a week for yourself to not work 40 for someone else. Because you see a dream that others can't. And it's a small percentage of people. Maybe it is a 5% rule. Maybe it's 5 and 95. Maybe it's 1%. I don't know those numbers. But I know that you need to, if you're trying to do that, the people around you that haven't will not be the most encouraging. So I I was talking to our partners and, and Caitlin yesterday about it. And they brought up several other naysayers through the years who had things to say. And I feel like, I mean, we don't know where, where things are going. I mean, we things could tank tomorrow, but I feel like buying real estate has been a very successful venture for us for 10 years. Um, and I had a friend yesterday share a stat that 90% of millionaires earned their wealth through real estate. I mean, there's a lot of pros and cons to it. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy. It's not passive. Like, you know, some people say, oh, I just want passive income, bro. Well, I, I truly don't think there's a ton of things that are passive income. Now, I want as many income streams as I can get, and I want them to have the least amount of effort involved. However, unless you're getting mailbox money from either royalties, um, whether it be music or literature or um, farming or something, land royalties, whether it's you know oil, gas, wind, Solar. I mean, unless you're getting those, those are fairly passive. Somebody had to work to get them, whether it was your great granddaddy or granddaddy or daddy. Somebody put in a lot of work to probably get those or to pay for the land or to work the land with cattle. But they're they're paying dividends for generations. But that's probably one of the few passive things. Real estate investing for the most part is not passive. Even if you even if you have a short term rental and you 
hire a management company and all you're doing as the investor, you still look at a thousand properties before you buy one. That's just the nature of it. Um, and especially if you're buying real estate to rent and you're doing it on your own and you're managing, yeah, there's a lot of work involved. Now, is it a, is it an eight to five job? Probably not. Um, it's a five to five to nine kind of job at night, but there's definitely work. It's not passive. So I just want to say that, like, I don't think there's anything truly passive. It's all going to take work. But if you're talking to people that haven't done it, because I think back, my grandparents owned a couple of rentals when I was a kid. Um, and, and I thought they worked out well for them. They had good long-term tenants and they went through some bad ones. And I think they got jaded by it. But I remember being in college and my grandmother was selling a house. And I said, hey, will you sell that to me? She's like, no, you don't want to go into the rental business. And I'm like, no, I, I think I do. And this was, you know, probably six, seven years before I actually bought a rental. And she's like, no, it, it, it sucks. You don't really want to do it. I mean, she didn't say it quite like that, but more or less, nah, you don't want to. And she ended up owner financing that house for somebody. I'm like, we could have owner financed it for me. I'd have paid you and then rented it out and kept the spread. That's arbitrage. That's what we talk about. That's what we want. Positive arbitrage. She didn't. That's all right. She didn't think that I wanted to do it. Didn't think I could handle it being in college, that kind of thing. Um, my And I just see things differently now. If my kids came to me in college and said, hey, I'd like a rent house. Deal. Let's figure this out. It's an easy thing. But mine, you know, my mind has shifted from that. But I remember going into insurance um, because I am still, all of our income is straight commission. Now, I did insurance sales with no money in the bank that were straight commission and and had to struggle and tell Caitlin not to buy groceries until I sold something that week. That's a different feeling. But I remember my family being very anti going into insurance sales because it's risky. As Jim Rohn says, everything is risky. Trying is risky, but wait until you get the bill for not trying. And so I actually, what I did, and this was not me understanding mentor-mentee relationships then, but I went to the one guy I knew who was very successful in insurance and financial planning that Caitlin worked for in college. And I said, hey, what do you think? And he goes, my family did the same thing. And don't take this as a negative thing. And he probably wouldn't admit to saying it now, but he's like, now I piss on all of them. I don't know that that's necessarily the right attitude. So don't come at me with that because I believe in good karma, but he wasn't wrong. He was the successful one in his family. That's all it took was one person having done it. Cause if he can do it, I can do it. Right. It took that one person telling me, yeah, I can do it. And now I'm better off financially. I'm happier than a lot of my family who discouraged me. And I understand that now. And I'm not saying I would ever say I piss on people. So don't take that as a negative thing or or the wrong thing. I'm just relating what he said. But he wasn't wrong. He did the work. He made it happen. And so if you're going to go do these things, don't let people discourage you. Don't let people belittle your dreams. Keep them close to your vest. Keep them close to the chest. Like don't, don't, don't share them with everybody. Especially what's, what's really sucks guys is when you go out and like, you're like amped up about an opportunity and somebody crushes it and they haven't done anything before that hurts. Especially when you look up to that person, especially because it's not going to be the stranger on the internet. Hell, strangers on the internet support me more than some of my friends and family. It is what it is. I don't stress over that. 
but you have to think about where they're coming from. They aren't willing to take risk. They're afraid of you getting hurt by taking a risk and their propensity for pain for suffering must not be as high as yours. And that's okay. Just don't share it with them. Now, I have a group of friends who are all similar minded to myself who we share ideas and sometimes we squash them, but it's a little bit different as a mentor, mentee, friend, colleague who's done things to say, I like your idea. It's not crazy, but this won't work. Or my experience has been that A, B, or C would work better, but I like your idea. There's a way different mindset in that. And so share those ideas with people that have been there. And I want to come up with a crazy, wild, and I probably do all the time if you ask my close friends. Like I come up with some stuff for business that they're like, "Eh, I don't know. But go to the people who go, yeah, that's crazy, but let's do it. Find those people. Those are your people. Because guess what? Yeah, it's going to fail sometimes. But Sam Walton had like 12 failed businesses before Walmart. I don't know if you've heard of Walmart or Sam Walton. His family is probably, when you take their um, aggregate wealth together as a family, the, the wealthiest in the world. Pretty crazy. Dude had a lot of failed businesses before it worked. Abraham Lincoln never got elected to any office. Lost like everything he ever did until the presidency. Pretty wild. A lot of people would have given up. I mean, so... I digress. That's not really what this podcast was about, but I wanted to tell you people won't see your vision. They won't understand. Don't expect people to understand because God didn't give them the same vision. He gave you, he gave me a different vision. He gave you a different vision. I don't expect anybody to understand mine because there are times that people say, why aren't you satisfied with what you have? I am, but like Ed Milet says, I'm blissfully dissatisfied. If everything came crumbling down today, I have an amazing family, dogs, kids that love me, I think. You know what I mean? Like I, I've had a good run. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm blissfully dissatisfied. I still want more. It's not because I'm not happy with what I have. It's just how I'm driven. It's how I'm built. You may not be built that way and that's okay. But if you are, find other people that are because they will encourage you. They will push you. They will help you succeed. Because my success means nothing to me if I don't have people around me who are also succeeding. But so when you try to start something up or you're doing something and you hear people that are naysayers, just tune them out, cut them out, ignore them. Because they will be the first people who say they know you when you're successful. People who did not believe in you will be the first people to say, I know him. I know her. That's my buddy. Oh, I didn't think he'd make it. You think I haven't heard that stuff from people? Absolutely. Focus on your plan. Work it. Do what you got to do. You can do it. Promise. I fell a lot along the way. The difference is if you fall seven times, get up eight. I think Confucius said that maybe. I don't know. Anyways, I hope you listened to the podcast today. All of it. I hope you didn't like skip ahead. Hope you weren't bored. Hope you don't miss Caitlin too much. Um, we're going to get back in a good groove. Get her in here soon. I love you. I hope that you continue 
to live it full. Have a good week, guys. You, you just listened to this entire episode. That means you gained some type of value. So make sure you leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode of Live It Full. Living everyday life with a purpose. Living everyday life with a purpose. Make sure you embrace every single day. And we'll see you next time on the Live It Full podcast.